0: Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 19th highlight episode, Sage Dawson joins us to talk about her work, which explores landscape, nostalgia, a variety of different materials, and she talks to us specifically about her current solo exhibition, On Streets Like Ours and Rooms Up Collapsing Stairs, which runs from now until June 22nd at Good Citizen Gallery in St. Louis, so you want to check that out. And of course, you want to visit sagedawson.com. To see all of our art. If you're new to Studio Break, we are a podcast and blog site that features a variety of contemporary artists talking about their work in detail. And you can see all the ones that you missed by using our archive function. If you look on the left sidebar on the homepage, there's an archive button and you can go month by month. We've got over 70 full-length podcasts. Some of them are shorter, like this highlight episode, and some of them are a bit longer and in depth, so feel free to check all of them out. Again, you can play them in the default player by left-clicking on the episode number, or you can subscribe in the iTunes Store. Just follow that link, become a subscriber of Studio Break, and get all your podcasts that way. Again, over 70 full-length ones, each with slideshows, links to the artists' websites, so you want to check it all out. Of course, there is information about our 2013 competition, which closes today may 31st so if there's still time it's very easy and we're giving away some shows and there'll be three different categories for undergraduate graduate and professional artists so please go ahead and check that out our juror this year mark harold ponder from box 13 art space in houston he's an interesting curator and an interesting artist so we're very happy to have him during this year of course if you want to find out more about studio break or are looking for other ways to follow we have a studio break page on facebook so please go ahead and like us there we provide previews of some of the guests that we have coming up as well as updates and show announcements things like that you can follow us on twitter at studio break and there's a number of other ways to reach out so please do say hello and without further ado here is sage dawson's interview stay tuned Welcome to Studio Break. I'm happy to be joined by Sage Dawson. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well, thanks.
0: Well, thanks again for taking the time to speak with us. Everyone should go check out SageDawson.com and see the rest of the work that's not on Studio Break. Where are you speaking to us from today?
1: Um, I am based in St. Louis, Missouri.
0: Excellent. Can you um, just give us a little bit of a background so that we know more about you?
1: I grew up in Kansas City and then did my undergraduate degree, uh, BFA in printmaking and painting at Missouri State University in Springfield, Missouri, and then um, eventually headed out west to Albuquerque, New Mexico, and um, completed an MFA in printmaking at the University of New Mexico there.
0: So looking over your work, it you know, becomes apparent that you know, you're interested in landscape, the way that we experience landscape. I'm, I'm curious if um, any of that moving was ever something that, you know, influenced the way that you thought about your studio practice.
1: Well, I think you're right. Um, the moving has played a big part in my work. That element of displacement is kind of a, a theme that runs through the work, how to kind of grapple with being in a new place, it's like the comfortability that comes with that or doesn't come with being in a new place.
0: Was creating art or you know, pursuing a degree or a job in the arts something that you always knew that you wanted to do?
1: Um, over time, I actually, uh, as a youngster, uh, was really interested in the medical field, um, especially in high school, realized that I was really interested in art making. And it was something that I always pursuing at home, uh, making things and cutting and pasting and collaging things. Um, So it was a pretty natural thing for me to decide in school to study art. Um, And fortunately, I have a family that's been really, really supportive of me going into
0: art making. So were you able to take any printmaking classes when you were
1: younger? Actually, in high school... There was one semester that uh, my art teacher offered a printmaking class. For whatever reason, it really stuck with me, the printing process, and then the indirectness of printmaking, lifting the paper off of, you know, a printing block and actually seeing the surface patterns, how they translated. That was really interesting to me, and it just stuck with me.
0: So what was it like taking your first full printmaking course?
1: The way the class is structured at Missouri State, we learned about four or five different processes. Digital photo process and then like intaglio, linoleum cut. Yeah, I had a really nice, well-rounded, I guess, introduction to all the processes uh, early on. And what
0: was it that you were interested in pursuing as a, a subject or an idea at the time?
1: Conceptually, I was working. Um, I was working quite a bit with personal narrative, um, just uh, uh, exploring a lot of memories um, and how how things are remembered. Um, uh, how subjective memory is really. Um, I was kind of exploring some sculptural prints, um, a lot of the work, I was learning a lot about symbol and metaphor, um, for home. Um, but it was very much more, it was less broad and it was more dealing with, um, you know, personal narratives and, um, more universal ideas about home.
0: So what did your work look like towards the end of that process
1: or that transition? In my final BFA show, I had a range of different materials. I actually made a, a quilt that hung on a light box that I built. Um, and the quilt included like quilt squares of drawings. And they basically kind of told a story um, from left to right, like a story from childhood. I installed uh, these more sculptural paper dresses made out of handmade paper. And there were kind of prints embedded within the folds of the dresses. And they hung from the ceiling, kind of from the ceiling to the floor at different heights and kind of swayed. Okay, so I should say the gallery was actually this old Victorian house And so the room that my show was in, uh, there was a staircase. So the small paintings were kind of hung together going up the staircase and hung in a way that felt really reminiscent of photographs hung on the wall going up stairs in a home. And then there were some prints also in there that were exploring painting and printing side by side. So.
0: Was that something that led you more into the the 3D sculptural and installation works?
1: Well, I think that paper making is something that I've done for a while. And for me, handmade paper is very sculptural in my mind. And the paper that I was making was really thin and um, translucent, more like fabric. And... um, and that as a material, I think, kind of opened up a lot of possibilities for me to move into a sculptural print and um, to think about uh, print and its placement in a room and the space around it. Well,
0: and that material of paper seems like it's an interesting choice or a, a way that you can really kind of explore some of the other ideas behind the work, too. Yeah,
1: Right, exactly. And I was embedding things into the paper, too. Like, um, I would do drawings and then actually, like, fuse the drawings into the paper when I made the paper. Um, So there would be, like, a thin layer of paper that would kind of cover over the drawings in, in the final sheet of paper. But you could still see the drawings. So I was, like, playing... With layering and translucency,
0: and interesting, interesting. So, is is it shortly after this that you start kind of doing more of these installational type pieces with with themes that are kind of based around the idea of home again? Or when did those pop? I'm thinking specifically of the piece that you made, Untitled, from the year 2006. six. It is a house fragment and some other things going on on the floor.
1: Yeah, so that's a, such a uh, that piece is like a bridge between. Undergrad and grad school, because I had just gotten to grad school when I made that piece, and it was kind of the first big piece I made in New Mexico. I was playing around with like prints on the floor and, you know, what does that mean? How will people interact with a print on the floor? And I also kind of, that was my first step into thinking about cartography. The uh, imagery on the floor is actually from a Palestinian embroidery pattern. I really liked the marks and that they were really reminiscent of like an aerial view of the landscape. And so I was definitely dealing quite a bit in that piece with like trying to kind of come to terms with being in New Mexico and knowing (laughs) no one. (laughs) And, you know, trying trying to start to make work and I'm really, I'm really affected by the environment around me, as I'm sure most artists are. Um, and it really affects my ability to make work. It seems
0: like the perfect kind of piece that you want to do when you get to that environment. What was it like being around like all the, the new people and, and all that as a new experience?
1: I think most people that I went to school with were affected by the light in New Mexico or the horizon line, the landscape, because it's so harsh, you know. And coming from Missouri, the landscape, the environment, it was so different. Everything about, about the landscape was foreign to me. You know, that was a good way to, to like come to terms with that.
0: Well, and is that how you got interested in cartography and and doing other kinds of research to, you know, supplement what you're doing in the studio?
1: Kind of my first, uh, first approach to taking the research and applying it to the work intentionally was making an itinerary map, which is a map that uh, documents the movement of a person through space. It's like a travel log, really. And so it's not a comprehensive map in any way. It's just uh, delineated by where one person goes through the landscape. So it would just hit like only the towns that this person went to along their trip. I could really relate to that, the map, as an image of someone's experience, a map that's really not at all concerned with being comprehensive and factual. And so I made a itinerary map moving westward. It starts in uh, Missouri and in some different places in Missouri, uh, Springfield, Sedalia, Missouri, where I spent some of my childhood in Kansas City, and it moves westward. And so that's actually uh, the biggest piece I ever made, the biggest print. It's about 8 feet by 24 feet in size.
0: Wow, that's pretty large. (laughs) Um, Could you tell us a bit more about this piece?
1: It's based around one-point perspective. So uh, the sheets of paper are cut according to the one-point perspective, So there's about 50 sheets of paper that break down, and they're all different shapes and sizes. So one might, you know, be just like a few inches across, and another might be, you know, like 30 inches across. So
0: So is this the work in your MFA show?
1: Yeah, this was in the final show.
0: Oh, nice. That's interesting. You know, I I think that the, the scale of the works being that tall would be something that would be really interesting in terms of the way people experience the work. You know, like a, a landscape experience that's more, you know, encompassing your your field of vision.
1: Yeah, I like so I like that the piece can kind of wrap around the viewer, so you can, you know, step into it in a sense. And that idea of the landscape kind of coming up around you and the horizon line coming up around you—it's something that I thought a lot about when I was making this piece.
0: It's interesting the way that you start to kind of incorporate, you know, real experiences of of real landscapes into the pieces. Interesting. So, what what happened after graduate school? Uh, did you? I, I think you were telling me about some adventures that you had that kind of led directly, or at least fed directly, back into your work. Um, so, so what happened afterwards?
1: Right at the tail, kind of the, near the end of school, I was working with an organization, and at one point, lived in India for a little bit, um, working with a de facto orphanage that was. In a red light district in Nagpur, India, and I was um, teaching some classes and just really interested in you know social justice and the arts, so I was teaching art classes. And at that time, I actually was able to get, receive a grant and collaborate with uh, the children there. And one of the professors at the University of New Mexico, Yoshiko Shimano, who has had this long history of working with the community and involving her students in her work with the community and art making. And anyway, Yoshiko and I collaborated to kind of put together this printing printmaking project uh, where students at the University of New Mexico actually printed matrices um, created by children at the orphanage. And so um, it was a fundraiser, but also it was an opportunity to think more about, you know, what is the role of artists to community.
0: So it sounds like living there is something that, you know, definitely affected the way that you think about your work and, and the way that it evolved from there. And it also kind of directly influenced um, what you made and, and certainly with this uh, recent exhibition that you had. So could you tell us a little bit about it, walk us through some of the different works and, and what the show is all about?
1: Yeah, um, well, the show just opened at Good Citizen Gallery in St. Louis, and um, it's titled On Streets Like Ours in Rooms Up Collapsing Stairs. And um, it's really the culmination of the last um, two to three years of work um, about this abandoned house at 1163 Mary Street in Springfield, Missouri. The show is about an abandoned house in um, the neighborhood, uh, Phelps Grove neighborhood in Springfield, Missouri. And um, I was living uh, next door to it and started you know, exploring it and thinking more about um, the production and destruction of spaces in my community and how that might affect uh, people more broadly.
0: Would you mind sharing the the story of how you you found out about the house or, or learned about it?
1: In my own neighborhood, there was a house that had been abandoned. I didn't really notice it initially until the front door blew open. And uh, I drove by it or walked by it for like a week straight, actually was thinking every time, oh, what's my responsibility here? Should I go over there and shut the door? And I had known a little bit of the history of the neighborhood, a lot of the neighbors who had been there for a long time. And their, fam- their homes had been passed down to them by um, previous generations, and they had they all have feelings about the fact that the house was abandoned in their neighborhood and that squatters had been there. And so that's kind of why I thought, well, maybe I should go over there and close the door. And I actually ended up doing that. And then maybe a week later it blew open again. And that's when I actually walked into the house.
0: It's of course, really interesting when um, some kind of chance or some kind of encounter leaves you uh, um, in a place to want to be creative or to, explore something. So it seems like the kind of perfect opportunity. Um, What was the experience like going into the house?
1: I went in the house and I started photographing the house, photographing the floor plan. And then I started making prints of the floor plan. So there were a lot of objects left in the house and I was struck by how personal they were. It seems clear that some objects in the house had been left by squatters Um, But there were also objects that, you know, they were just clearly not trash. It felt like someone had left the house quickly. So um, I started trying to actually map the objects that were left in the house onto these floor plans that I was making. And then I started a large-scale final floor plan of the house Typically, I'll work at a small scale, making small studies. And then when I land on something in terms of color palette and formalistically um, that I'm happy with, I'll go ahead and invest the materials and time into making a large-scale print.
0: So when you're making work based off of like a, a specific location like this, is it something where each of the individual pieces kind of determine what they're going to look like as opposed to kind of working in a series?
1: Each resolution is really unique. As I'm making the prints, I'm thinking about the psychology of the space. Some of those prints, I think, are more successful than others. Um, Like, I probably made about 20 small-scale studies over the course of, like, a year. I landed on one that I used as the basis for the large-scale piece. There are four final pieces basically, four final studies that I was happy with, but they all approach like controlling how you, how your eye moves through the piece in very very different ways. Um and the color palette is is very different. There's one piece that's more of a like black and blue color palette. There's a green Study that's more lyrical, but it's also uses kind of an institutional green color. The psychology of that space, or of that piece, is I think more honest to how it feels to walk into the house. Some of the studies uh, initially they only depict the main floor and the um, second floor um, because the basement had been flooded according to neighbors, for 10 years, standing water. And so those earlier pieces actually did not go down the stairs to look at the basement. And then later pieces, I include a kind of just a blank space depicting the basement. So very much I would say that all the pieces, all the studies, say something different about the experience of going into the house.
0: I think it's interesting the way the work's are kind of somber and not over the top but they they're kind of subtle they they kind of invite you to kind of investigate the space and, and to kind of think about the way that you might interact with it
1: I think that most of the pieces yeah I would say most of the pieces with the exception of a few where I tried like a really really bright saturated red feel very somber and I think that uh, the somber color palette is a good way to kind of talk about or approach the topic of nostalgia. I, I mean, for me, nostalgia, trying to make work that considers nostalgia, I think that's really tricky and difficult. And I kind of approach that carefully. <laughs> um, because the whole really really, uh, what my work is uh, is trying to tackle is the idea of the ruin gaze which is colored by nostalgia kind of nostalgia's connection to utopia uh, or what could have been kind of thinking about ideas of like restorative nostalgia which is something that you know is like prevalent in circles today when you you know all the talk about Detroit and even St. Louis I mean so much of St. Louis City is emptied out and abandoned.
0: And so how, how would you say that your work kind of deals directly with those ideas or, or kind of relating to the idea of working from, from places that I guess aren't sought after or forgotten or going through a transition?
1: Really, I think my work is situated in more of a sideways glance, Actually, Svedlana Boehm, she wrote this essay. It's called Ruins of the Avant-Garde, and it's in the book The Ruins of Modernity. And she actually talks about, like, contemporary perspectives of nostalgia and the idea of a sideways glance at the present. Um, and that's, I think, where my work is situated. It's not really a focus directed towards the future or you know, solely on the past and romanticizing it or mourning for loss, um, which is very much a, I would say, a contemporary obsession. (laughs) But it's more of a, like, kind of questioning these perspectives in general.
0: Yeah, I like this idea of perspective and and the way that you think about how much of our perception is just based off of um, what we've created for it, you know. We're nostalgic for these constructions. Um, but they're not, you know, a real, necessarily real thing. It's all the way that we perceive uh, the objects, the things around us, and, and how we experience all of that. And that's something that's really interesting because you leave a, a space, an openness in the work to be able to let the viewer kind of experiment with that and play around with that.
1: Yeah, I think after I made the floor plans, I tried to think more about mundane objects We totally associate with nostalgia. I mean, they make us think of really specific things. Some of the objects that came out of the house are just these really mundane objects, like a styrofoam, big gulp, or VHS tapes that have, like, three movies taped onto them from TV. We all have some kind of experience with them, and so... After I made the floor plans, I collected things from the home, started archiving them, um, making collection tags. And the collection tags included what the object was, where it was found, a description of the object, a collection tag number, and attaching the tags to the objects. The, The objects were... Uh, painted white that was more of a documentative approach but the objects actually correspond to you know the floor plan drawings and prints that were in the show so you could actually point out in the prints like here's here are the vhs tapes they sat in the kitchen on the kitchen counter on the end well and it's interesting
0: because then you you kind of have all these different ways of exploring the idea of mapping
1: yeah, I think there are, like, different ways of talking about the same thing. Like, I think about the house and making work about the house kind of like um, solving a mystery. Like, um, here I can show you this version of the house through the print, but then I can also show you the objects. And then I went in and um, and started, like, rolling. I rolled up the carpet with ink and started printing the surface of the carpet, and that was included with the objects. Another way to take something that's invisible and make it visible. Seeing this, the carpet for the first time more in a more whole way that I had no understanding of prior to printing it, for me, a very printerly thing to do. It was like making that visible for the first time, seeing the objects in this new way.
0: Right. It's, it's also especially interesting the way that it allowed you to kind of experiment with all these different techniques and different ways of kind of mapping this house. Were there any other forms of uh, this mapping, this exploration?
1: And then the final kind of approach to talking about the house in a different way was actually, actually recordings of a woman that had lived in the house in 1962, and she... Um, just talks about what she remembers about the house. I had always kind of wondered about who lived here and what's the story. At one point, it was taken care of. A lot of the neighbors remembered actually playing in the house as children. So there's a kind of a big question mark about the house and its history. And um, this woman uh, in the recordings, she was uh, Googling houses that she had grown up in. And at that time, I had put some of the studies of the the floor plan of the house up on my website and had titled it according to the street address. And so she actually found my website through a Google search and emailed me. Wow. Yeah. And so and then once we got to talking, I realized she I was in Georgia when she contacted me and she was also living in Georgia just a few hours away, so I actually went and um, met with her, stayed with her for a weekend and just recorded her talking about the house.
0: Well, what's on the agenda next? Do you have any big projects coming up that you're excited about?
1: Yeah, um, well, I actually have a, a show opening in Kansas City in July, and it's going to include... Uh, It's going to be a shift away from the abandoned house, and I'm dealing more with um, the neighborhood I was living in in Augusta, Georgia last year. And basically, I'm making work about uh, this neighborhood called Somerville, which is kind of—it's in Augusta, Georgia, but it's um, a little bit outside of kind of the downtown area. And historically, it was kind of this— Hill, This neighborhood district where uh, people that uh, had some money would build a summer home and kind of get away from the heat in the city. And so uh, at the top of this hill are these massive houses that have been there for a very long time, passed down generation to generation. And then if you go down to the bottom of the hill, a mile down, it's just government housing projects. And so I'm really, I was living actually right in between the two, kind of on the slope of the hill. And I was really interested in the disparity between, you know, these two places and being centrally located. You know, I felt some kind of conflict uh, while I was living there. And so the work explores the neighborhood. There are kind of these aerial images of the streets of the neighborhood and of the hillside. I was mapping like, Flora found in the neighborhood, um, making kind of prints, and then painting and drawing. So there are a few pieces ready for that show, and then um, I'm going to kind of continue to go down uh, that path and keep working with those ideas. So,
0: Well, it'll be really interesting to see what kind of work comes out of that.
1: Yeah, it's opening at Front Space the first Friday uh, in July, so pretty excited. It'll be my first show solo show in Kansas City. And uh, Front Space is just a wonderful space. So,
0: Well, it's nice to have two shows so close together. You'll be uh, pretty busy making work.
1: (laughs) Yeah. uh, It's a little stressful, but I think I'm going to pull it off.
0: (laughs) Well, thanks again to coming on to do an interview. And um, it was great talking about your work. And I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Thanks again to Sage for joining us. And please go check out our website, sagedawson.com. And you can also see that show, which runs through June 22nd at Good Citizen Gallery. So go check out our solo show. Since you're perusing the web anyways, you might as well also follow my hyperlink, David Linaway. You can find out a little bit about your host and see some of the work that I do. I just have some new work that's up on my website, about 18 pieces, I think. If you're in Chicago and you want to see the work in person, I'm going to have a couple of pieces in the show Memory at the Lacuna Artist Lofts in Chicago on June 8th, and it opens from 12 to 6, and I hope that I see you there. Another really interesting-looking show that opens up next week is Jeff Robinson Stacks at Heavy Brow in Bloomington, Illinois. Again, that opening is at 7 p.m. June 7th, so check it out. If you happen to like today's episode, we hope that you check out all the other ones that you've missed using the Archive feature. And if you would please help anyone that needs something to listen to during the commute or just something to listen to in the studio, please share Studio Break and uh, let others know about it. Once again, you can follow us on Twitter at Studio Break. You can like our Facebook page and find out about some of the upcoming guests as well as get some announcements and cool opportunities. So like our Facebook page. Just a reminder, too, that if you enjoy this podcast, you can subscribe in the iTunes Store, search for Studio Break under Podcasts. And, of course, we always love it when you leave us some comments and some feedback. It generally just helps others that are in iTunes looking for things to listen to, new podcasts, new art podcasts, or whatever. So it's a great way to handle a commute. And for whatever reason, it just helps with visibility when people leave comments in the iTunes store, so we hope that you do that. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can always think about donating to the Studio Break Podcast and supporting us that way. Well, with that, that's our show for the week. We hope that you enjoyed listening, and we'll talk to you real soon.